you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, the week's news. The usual headline-grabbing China stories of the day have remained pretty low profile lately, U.S.-China trade talks are trickling along with very few public disclosures, no big movement on Huawei's house-arrested Meng Wanzhou or the detained Canadian citizens, and Trump keeps tweeting about how much he cherishes Kim Jong-un, but we've yet to see real progress there either. But fret ye not, dear newshound, the week saw plenty of interesting developments. Huko rules are being relaxed. China has told local governments to lift household registration restrictions for people who live and work in some second- and third-tier cities in an effort to advance reform of the residency system for migrants. China will eliminate all restrictions for household registrations, or HUKO, for all cities with an urban population of 1 to 3 million, the National Development and Reform Commission said. Cities with an urban population of 3 to 5 million can also ease restrictions for farmers-turned-workers who have lived there for more than five years, as well as for technicians, college and vocational school graduates, and people who have obtained overseas degrees. As migration boomed in China over the last few decades, the hukou system has been a nightmare for some outsiders. Migrants who move to a big city, for example, may not be able to get social benefits or get their children into a local school. Migrants are also often banned from buying property in cities where they reside if they don't hold a local hukou. This is a small step towards improving the situation for these workers. To no one's surprise, Hong Kong again topped this year's most expensive housing market list in a ranking done by U.S. real estate services and investment company CBRE Group. The average price of a home there? $1.24 million. The very expensive Pearl of the Orient was followed on the list by Singapore, Shanghai, and Vancouver, but one surprise city made its first appearance at number five on the list, Shenzhen. The average price of a home in the southern China tech hub is $680,000. 
Shenzhen's surge reflects the city's growing economic weight as one of the biggest cities in the so-called Greater Bay Area, an ambitious plan to turn Guangdong, Hong Kong, and Macau into one megalopolis. Beijing, which ranked fifth last year, slid to ninth behind Los Angeles, New York, and London. Didi's valuation is hitting the skids. Shared economy watchers have mostly had eyes for Uber recently, as it just filed a highly anticipated prospectus for its U.S. IPO. But that same document also shed some light on the latest valuation of Didi's own Didi Chuxing, which fought a bloody battle with Uber's Chinese operations before the pair hastily merged in 2016 and Uber withdrew from the market. The picture isn't pretty. Uber estimates the stake it got from Didi, whose others investors include tech giant Apple, was equal to about 19% of the company when the pair combined their China services in 2016. But that stake has fallen to about 15%, according to Uber's prospectus. That's not surprising, given the uphill drive Didi has faced over the past year. It was pummeled with negative publicity last year after two female passengers were murdered by their drivers within a span of four months. More recently, the company has come under pressure as a growing number of its partners, many of them car makers, set up rival ride-sharing services. China's biggest stock photo provider may have ventured too close to a black hole for its own good. The website of Visual China Group, a partner of Getty Images, has been down since Friday after it made a copyright claim to the world's first photograph of a black hole. Online commenters also found VCG claimed to own copyright to photos of China's national flag and badge. In a Weibo post, the Communist Youth League questioned the validity of VCG's copyright over these photos. Shenzhen-listed VCG's shares plunged 10% soon after the market opened Friday morning. In China, the possibilities seem endless, including getting sued for criticizing a building's feng shui, such as the plight of one WeChat account, which has just been fined 30,000 U.S. dollars for writing that one of Beijing's landmark office complexes had bad feng shui, a pseudoscience widely believed in China that the orientation of structures affects their harmony and inhabitants' success. The building in question is Wangjing Soho, a uniquely designed office complex run by developer Soho China. Soho itself is run by power couple Pan Shiyi and Zhang Xin, both well-known figures in China. A Beijing court agreed with the couple that the building had been quote defamed when a blogger posted a WeChat article in November titled. Quote, Feng Shui of Beijing, Wangjing Soho, a Waterloo for internet companies. Close quote. The post, which went viral on China's internet, claimed the inauspicious location and layout of the building brought negative energy to tenant companies. Feng Shui or not, many of the building's corporate tenants have struggled. Some going bankrupt and another shuttering completely. The article specifically mentioned once high-flying tech startups such as dating app Momo. Now defunct gaming platform Panda TV, anime site Akfun, and bankrupt bike sharing platform Blue Gogo. Plaintiff Pan went so far as to write on social media that some of his colleagues even worried that attributing bad feng shui to the building would bring psychological and emotional trauma to people who work there. China has so much official corruption that an underground industry has emerged in which thieves target officials. Who can't report crimes to authorities because the officials themselves have gotten the items stolen illicitly? 
in the latest episode of this multi-part dramatic series, perhaps premiering one day on Netflix, the head of Anhui Province's Transportation Department, Shi Ping, has come under investigation for suspicion of corruption. That case is a bit convoluted. In 2015, Shi's apartment was robbed with thieves making off with unusual spoils, items worth about $200,000. Bizarrely, much of this was in the form of department store gift cards. In China, gift cards have long been used to bribe officials and other high-level figures because they are anonymous and hard to trace. In a famous case in 2014, thieves were revealed to be specifically eyeing corrupt officials whom they knew dared not report thefts to police. One such swindler compared her work as a burglar to that of an office cleaner, returning to the office only to find it filled again with gifts, coupons, and cash. But nothing came of the 2015 Shi robbery. No one raised an eyebrow about his hefty collection of cash and gift cards. That may have changed as authorities are now investigating his finances. So stay tuned as the crackdown on the dark underworld of gift cards develops. The equity market of Hong Kong overtook Japan to become the world's third largest, with a combined market cap of nearly 6 trillion US dollars behind only the US and Chinese mainland markets. The benchmark Hang Seng Index has climbed 17% since the beginning of the year, adding nearly a trillion dollars of market value for stocks trading in the city. The Hong Kong stock market was one of the best performing globally in 2017, with an annual gain of more than 30%, but it suffered a sharp decline last year as global markets tumbled. Analysts predicted a stronger year for both Hong Kong and mainland stocks in 2019, backed by an improved outlook for China's economy and trade talks with the U.S. The last time the Hong Kong market was more valuable than Japan's was in April 2015. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to Doug Young, managing editor of Caixin Global, to chat about some IPO news from China. And there always seems to be IPO news from China. Doug, catch us up on the big news item this week, will you? Okay. Actually, I'm going to catch up on a, a couple because there's uh, two pretty big ones out there. And each one's a slightly different story. But I think the big theme behind both of these stories is is that you know the market is is just really hot right now. For anything China-related, um, China does seem to be showing signs of the uh, stock market cooling a little bit, or certainly not as racing as it was before, but it's it's still doing pretty well. It's up about 25% this year. So, of course, people are trying to sort of take advantage of the bullish sentiment and, and uh, raise money. And um, one of the top stories we've seen this week was a, a brokerage called uh, Shenwan Hongyuan, filed to make an IPO in Hong Kong, which would be the biggest IPO so far this year. You know, we're early in the year, but it's still not too bad, about a one and a quarter billion dollars if they can uh, meet their fundraising target. So it's a pretty big amount. And then the, the second story was uh, another company called Huya, which is much more of a new economy company. Uh, they do live streaming games. Uh, which are apparently all the rage in China now. It's not not quite my thing, but uh, I hear they're pretty good. But the interesting thing about this one is they've just gone to market or they're getting ready to go to market and they're selling $500 million or about more than $500 million of shares. And the interesting thing about this one is that the company's already publicly traded. So this is actually a secondary offering, but it's about three times as big as their initial public offering, which actually was was last year. And again, the, the company last year when they made their IPO, yeah, the market was sort of tepid. 
it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. And you remember China was in the middle of a, a terrible bear market. So it didn't really raise nearly as much as it wanted to. And, and so you're seeing these guys basically say, gee, we couldn't, couldn't do much last year, but now things are, are going much more gangbusters. Let's, let's raise all our money now. So like I say, you're seeing a case where they're raising three times as much through a secondary offering than they did uh, at their IPO. Well, that's a good summation of a pretty standard business story. But I understand you also have something a bit weirder and more macabre up your sleeves. Uh, can you tell us about this one? Yeah, I thought today, uh, this week, we'd, we'd take a little walk on the wild side. Uh, I definitely don't want to say it's a funny story because it involves murder, but it's definitely stranger story and quite possibly a made-in-China story because you certainly don't see this kind of thing as much in the West. You do see occasional stuff like this. But the the story is uh, this, this company called Sunflower Pharmaceutical, which is a traditional Chinese medicine maker has just been all over the headlines in China these last few days. Um, and it seems that the founder has killed the co-founder. They just happen to be estranged husband and wife. Uh, the, but the husband apparently is at least suspected of killing his ex-wife. And so, of course, this being China, you know, the husband controls something like 50 or 60 percent of the company, quite a lot of the company. And until recently, he was the chairman of the company. So, of course, people are freaking out and saying, oh, my God, what's going to happen to this company? And, and the stock went down, though, not quite as bad as you might think. It was down more than 5 percent earlier this week. So the company essentially rushed in and said, hey, 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 no, don't, don't, no, no need to panic. Uh, they're actually pointing out that the guy resigned as chairman and doesn't have any executive role. He, he resigned back in January. So maybe shortly after this suspected murder took place. I, we don't really have a timeline on when exactly the murder occurred. And of course, he's only just suspected. So we don't know. But uh, apparently the company is trying to get everybody, you know, back into line. They're saying, oh, the guy's gone. It's his two daughters now who are running the company. Well, we often hear about external factors disrupting a company's business, but this strikes me as a rather extreme case. Yes, it is. Doug, thanks for keeping it balanced with something a little more mainstream and something from the wild side. So hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Kaiser. Thanks, Doug. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SUP China and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network and be sure to follow the news from China every day at SUP China. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.